Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as I every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Fulton and Paul West. But wait, I have a guest, but I'm going to let the guys introduce and present our guest. So how are we doing, guys? Doing well, doing well. How was your vacation, Carlos? It was amazing. Good. Uh, we, they all should be, right? Had great time. Was long flight, but it was it was worth it. Uh, of course, you flew hours, first class, right? We went first class. We actually Good. decided to take our honeymoon. That after five years, uh, we haven't taken our official honeymoon. So we Dude, went after, all the way. Yeah, after five years, it's just called a vacation. That's right. You've had right. 13 other trips, but this your one's your honeymoon period has ended after five years. So I think let's let's welcome Guy. Guy, nice to see you, sir. Um, have you we've been on the podcast before, right? We had you on yeah. like three years yeah. ago. So, Guy, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna warn everybody, please don't click off. I promise this isn't gonna sound as bad as it is as it is. Guy is a <laughs> privacy attorney. Thanks. Okay, so now that now that half the audience has clicked away, um, we have we we do have a, what I think is a really interesting topic, um, but I think even more importantly, um, it's a um, it's a critical topic for people to understand. It's not going to sound the most exciting, but on March second, the Biden White House announced and released its national cybersecurity strategy. Within that strategy. Um, there's a whole bunch of kind of goals, right? Um, the two big goals are to rebalance the responsibility to defend cyberspace, which we're going to get into, and apparently some incentives to favor long-term investments, which also doesn't necessarily make any sense. Um, there's some, some things I really like about it. Funding to defend critical infrastructure, I think, is a phenomenal uh, kind of positive move in a direction um, that we've needed for a long time, right? Uh, the fact that that has to be a plan in 2023 is a little baffling. Like that should have been a plan in 2003, right? Is this um, federal infrastructure or all? No, no, it's those things considered um, critical infrastructure, right? So, so um, power plants, tel telcos. You know, if it's considered critical infrastructure, the plan theoretically encompasses it. I say theoretically because, one, this isn't legislation, it's a plan. And two, until all the politics work out, we don't know what this is actually going to execute like. Right. Okay. Right. So it's not um, regulatory. So this isn't a document of regulations. This is a document to, of a strategy which will require legislative changes, regulatory changes, policy changes, yeah. all of that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So it's, 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 um, you could think of it like a letter of intent. That'd be yeah. an okay with, way to think about it, guy. We, we intend to do this, this thing if everything works out in, in our favor and no one complains too incredibly bad and we get the funding and the boss says it's all right. The, the boss being the legislative body. Right. Right. Okay. Um, but but the so reason no near term worry is that what is that what, what I'm that's hearing? actually why I think it's worth having this conversation now and why people should listen now is because now is the time to do all the worrying now is the time to do all the thinking now is the time to do all the responding 
right? And have all the discussion to say, hey, what is actually reasonable here? What is not reasonable? Do this, don't do that. And, and, and start, you know, the phone calls and letter writing campaigns from a, from a lobbying standpoint, right? Because there are things here that are incredibly um, dangerous. Right. Okay. Which, can we can we do good, bad, and different? Can we go through the good and then maybe the bad and the indifferent? Uh, we can. We can. So defend critical infrastructure. So that's the first one that I think is. Um, I think that's great. Um, so so that's investment in um, availability and resilience of critical infrastructure and the essential services it provides. Right. So right. Um, the second one, which I also think is is potentially very good. Obviously, we'll have to see what it's like, but it's affected. It's titled "Disrupt and Dismantle Threat Actors." The the valuable piece to that is um, we we haven't really had a way to refer to hackers as um, damage in the same way we refer to military action, hmm. right? And so this takes an important step in in effectively saying this is as important, if not more important than those who take military action right um if i if if, if you're gonna if you're gonna riot outside an embassy you can damage that embassy you can burn the embassy and you can kill some people um but to do that within the u.s is significantly harder hacking within the u.s from from across the pond into the u.s no harder than hacking across the pond to across the pond right the digital world is effectively separated by um zero inches um, so to change how we look at that and say this is, in fact, um, you know, uh, of, of huge strategic importance um, allows the, the, um, the departments of the federal government that, that could respond to, to then take action as though, um, you know, more, more as though it was someone um, attacking a military base or a physical installation, which we haven't done up to this point, right? And so it kind of opens the floodgates for... CIA, NSA, DOD, DIA to start responding to these things in a um, FBI to, to respond it, to these with all their power. It, is this a unifying strategy? Because I have to think some of those entities, departments already have capability and a means to respond. Mm, to sure. But, but in order for them to respond, they have to be asked. They have to be invited. Um, there's all kinds of politics that go on in, in those conversations. right? And this way, they don't really have to wait to ask right it's a change in orders not a change in in capability it's a change in operating defined operating theater would Got be it. probably a better term um again i think that's good what do you guys what do you what do you think i yeah no i i think so and a more coordinated effort um and really on the the, the dismantling right there are there are there are already agencies out there there are already initiatives that are that are that are focused on you know dismantling the threat actors um where and take it with the entire plan right where one of the things that i can see is a, a a potential question mark coming up is how does this play in the public private space um because is we'll we'll talk uh, you know on some of the other issues right a lot there's a lot of focus on private sector um and that is a fundamental shift um, in national security to, uh, you know, in large part that now we're, we're, there's the, there's potential, right? It's a roadmap, it's a plan, but there is a potential for an argument that, you know, this advocates for conscripting the, uh, the, the private sector into national defense, national security. Um, and that, 
of course, with with that comes dollars, right? That comes time, that comes investment. That is that really, are we going to be able to have enough support behind that, that we start focusing private sector resources on national security? That's one of the places where I, I see, you know, I, I like this. I like this particular principle. I think this is a really good one and, and something we should be focused on. The question is, to what degree can we can we expect to see buy-in and can we expect to see industry be willing to accept it versus cool you want us to do that we're pulling out we're going to go to another another area another jurisdiction where we don't have to comply with all of these things we don't have to spend these resources um so it's still to be seen i do think though on the on the on the first one the, the dependent critical infrastructure likely the easiest one to to get implemented um and with the least amount of legislative friction um and that's going to come through changes to the fars um which right don't necessarily require an act of congress to do um if federal you know spending regulations say in order to provide services into this particular industry you have to have x y and z security it's there Right. So and we're, we're already seeing it. I mean, right. This all came out of the, you know, in the aftermath of the pipeline attack. We saw new new requirements. NIST had new controls come out. That part is I, I think that's at our doorstep, if not already in the house. Um, so I can see that one going. But again, I, I think it's right. As long as it doesn't go beyond critical infrastructure, then we're going to see swift action on that one or, or could see swift action. But if we, stay at critical, if we stay at critical infrastructure and I buy that, you know, the current regulatory bodies could say, listen, uh, in order for you to get a government contract, you need to comply to these standards. I buy that. But it's a pretty big leap from that to thou shalt implement actions when I ask you to if there's a threat detected. Like that's a big, yes. big jump. It sounds like. Yeah. No, 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 that's an enormous jump, right? Yeah. Um, so, so it's also worth noting the SEC and the FBI have been trying for years to force reporting in a breach. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the, the FBI has, has tried everything they can to just say, please, 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 if you if you get ransomware, please tell us, please involve us, please get us get us involved quickly. Um, the, 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 the bit of it is they're not really useful when it does happen. Right. So if you do involve them, they're not actually useful. So I don't really see the upside to it personally. Cool. You file your police report. Uh, okay. Cool. You you file it with that with the feds because it's because it's not a it's not a local jurisdiction issue. Although you probably do that too. I don't remember. Um, and then you give that to your cyber insurance, and then that's kind of where it ends. FBI does nothing from that point. Um, and and that's a little bit annoying, right? Like like if you want to be involved, I expect you to take action. Otherwise, I got other shit to do. Right? It's the yeah. m- most chaotic period, most heads down period of any organization. Um, so hopefully this comes along with additional funding to help fight these these threat actors um, because they are hugely disruptive. Um, the other issue I see is um, I did a little bit of consulting for a um, critical infrastructure, right? Um, kind of water and power sort of thing. Um, they didn't understand the basics of network routing. The, and I mean the absolute basics like 1975 layer three routing. Um, 
and wanted to kind of argue it and just have a flat network with everything open for um, them and their contractors. And yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's embarrassing. And their contractor didn't know any better either. Um, so it makes it easier to asset to find all the resources. Way, way easier. Effectively, no security of any kind, right? Um, and that's a little frustrating, again, in, in this was 2022. So in 2022, right? Like, um, and then to say, hey, by the way, you, you now have all kinds of new pressure. Um, what are we going to do to make sure that's effective? Right? How do we have some checks and balances? What are we going to do to say, um, like, you, you, uh, do we have the ability to say, if you, if you don't meet NIST 2.0, as an example, you will not be legally allowed to operate within the state, within the country. Right. What's the time to remediate? Who who confirms the remediation? Because if we just use third party um, audit companies, the third party audit company um, will will just pass you. Right. There, for a long time, audit companies have just been, look, if we don't pass them, they won't use us again. They'll use the audit company that does pass them. So we'll just pass them anyways. Um, right. So, and so, so are there no standards now that they have to adhere to? No, not really. You logical or I mean, physical? yeah. Really? Agencies get, you know, yeah, actual agencies get their own, you know, their own directives. And, but again, these are controls that are by NIST, but where is the, where the accountability is not there. And I mean, and this is, you know, going to the, with the SEC and the, the FBI wanting breach reporting. I mean, this is, this is a problem of the Fed's own making, right? This all goes back to mid 2000s when, the state data breach notification laws started going into effect. And, you know, we've all lived under that one, right? It's 50 different laws and it's, and it's 50 different pieces. Well, at the time, the Fed had the opportunity to pass a federal data, data breach notification law, right? Which would have required reporting the FBI, reporting the SEC, giving us better information and insight at a national level. But because a couple states decided to do it first and then they went hands off, now we've got a patchwork quilt. We're seeing the same thing on the privacy side too now, where California, Virginia, Colorado, Connecticut, and Utah, right? They've they're they're the, the first five and they've they've put their privacy laws in place. There is a federal privacy bill that's that's floating around. And it 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 made some decent progress last year. Um, but when it came when the federal bill came out of committee and went into Congress, the the remarks were, well, there are a couple states that have already fought really hard to put these laws in place and we can't let those laws be overridden. So put it on the back burner, right? Because, and, and so those are going to be fights that we're going to get into where, because we haven't addressed it way back when it should have been addressed in the first place, now we have to fight with not only getting the right structures in place, but also how does this impact programs and, and frameworks that have been developed uh, because at the state level, because the feds didn't act. Um, I see that is also going, that is also going to be a struggle point. Now, a couple things that, that, that the, the feds are already sending some signals of this requirement is the EPA recently announced and, and told the states they're going to have to introduce cybersecurity requirements to meet EPA requirements. And so there is going to, you know, it's it, it's a clear, pretty clear signal that 
they're going to try to take uh, some aggressive steps at a federal level. Um, how much, uh, how effective it is and how much pushback there is still to be seen. Um, but as of right now, I mean, no, there's, there's not a lot of requirements and, and, you know, accountability for compliance. CMMC is an attempt at that, but that's such a convoluted process that most are looking at, okay, cool. Get me to phase one of CMMC, which is essentially nothing. Uh, and that's about as far as you got to go right now. Um, as long as you're not doing anything, you know, weapons related, you're probably okay. And and that's still not going to prevent things like the pipeline attack or, or prevent, you know, certain supply chain attacks that we see, you know, see happen or see attempted at a, with, with fairly regular, uh, you know, at a fairly regular clip. So did, did you see the, um, the state of Ohio has a new motion to change their flag? Specifically, no. yeah, it looks like this. It's 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 this, and then this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then another. So is there any any other good parts before you sort of jump into the worst parts? No, I mean, okay. there, there's a bunch of other parts that I think are interesting, but there's not enough detail in them to explain what they mean. Like um, we were talking a little before this started, right? Um, there's a there's a request to promote IPv6. I don't know what the hell that does for security. Um, IPv4. Okay, I mean maybe somebody smarter than me can say in the comments what they think that does for security. But DNS still runs on IPv4. There's no IPv6 DNS, and um, and DNS is a pretty big problem and if you don't fix that you kind of haven't really fixed anything right, right? Um, and that was something that I thought was really interesting in in, in the in, in reading through it because in the same place that they you know that, that point out the slow adoption is IPv6 as a you know uh, by the way that is one of the most urgent and pervasive concerns uh, according to the uh, to the plan. In the same same sentence, they talk about the other the other you know urgent ones are uh, border gateway protocol vulnerabilities and unencrypted DNS requests. Right? Sure, how does that get fixed? Well, well, and we've or does had it even need to? We've had we've had DNS security for a while, but it doesn't actually solve anything. Mm -hmm. If 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 I can still spoof core certificates and I can still break certificates, then I can also sec my own DNS server to be whatever the hell I want, right? Like there's so many core vulnerabilities that continue to get found in things that, that are core to how the internet works that those things don't fix any of it, right? Um, I, I, think, I, I think before you're allowed to write any of this stuff, you should have to stand up on stage at DEF CON and actually, and actually <laughs> try to advocate. Because um, it's funny how many of these topics have come up at DEF CON, as in, hey, everybody said this would fix it. Let me show you why it doesn't. And, yeah. and that was seven. The DNSSEC one was seven-ish years ago. Like, fundamentally, DNSSEC is just broken. So that's not really going to solve the problem. I, 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 you know, I appreciate kind of what the Fed's trying to do, but, but it, it, it speaks to a lack of understanding. So let's talk about 3.3. Yeah, because that is... The it's it's the biggest crux of the problem with all of this. Yeah. So let's let's start the conversation with um, there's a lot of regulatory chatter in general, right? 
um, privacy uh, ethics within AI and machine learning, um, legal usage of artificial intelligence, bias, a lot of AI stuff right now, right? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest issues in all of it is um, not that we don't need to do something. We absolutely need to do something. But we also need to consider how we play in the, in the global arena. Um, Neil Stevenson said um, 40 years ago, Neil Stevenson wrote, the United States provides three things to the world. We excel at three things, pizza, entertainment, and microcode. Okay. Those are the three things we bring to the world. Um, we deliver more varieties of pizza faster than anywhere else in the world. We're the, you know, Hollywood, right? We're the, we're the entertainment capital of the world from that perspective. And then software. And it certainly was true in the 80s. We were ahead of every other nation in quantity and quality of code produced um, as those two things together. Um, but, it, but it does speak to how we need to be able to compete in an international stage and how we have to temper and we have to balance um, all of this legislation through the lens of if the competition isn't doing it, will at what point do they outpace us in what is likely to be the largest single location of wealth within an economy? Forget about people, but an economy, right? Um, are we okay being the going from the first largest economy in the world to the tenth because we've we've placed silly restrictions? And I do mean silly, good restrictions we got to deal with, but silly restrictions on artificial intelligence, silly restrictions on software security. So now let's. Through the, after we've talked about that for a second, laid a foundation. Now let's talk about 3.3. What's 3.3? <laughs> Go ahead, guys. So 3.3 is, it, and this was the one that, this was the, of the objectives, right? This is the objective that caught everybody's attention, and rightfully so, because there's, there's those five core objectives for improving cybersecurity, Two ways of doing it, and one of them, the big one is rebalancing the responsibility to defend cyberspace. That that sounds great. Uh, three three says software developers should be the ones that are responsible for regions, um, right? So responsible for the cost, responsible for uh, you know all of the fallout. And that um, businesses and end users and critical infrastructure shouldn't have as much responsibility. That sounds good, I suppose, in the abstract. Sounds horrible. Sounds horrible. Sounds like someone who's never, ever, ever talked to a software developer, never yeah. run an organization, never nothing. Well, that their identity got stolen and wants to lash out at somebody. Yeah. Well, exactly. This is, and this is where I get, this is where I get really nervous about how much of the rest of this can work because of the way that the plan is is kind of explained and and how this objective appears to you know the the where this the the plan seems to think the problem lies um, is where I start to to question how can we get the rest of this to work. Um, and so breaking down 3.3, three, um, it, it really starts to focus on, um, you know, it says that the, the, the market uh, imposes inadequate costs and um, often rewards 
those entities that introduce vulnerable products or services into our digital ecosystem. Of the breaches that I'm familiar with, it was not consumer products in large part that result in the massive problems of breaches, right? These are often B2B systems or their own proprietary blend systems, right? Sure, there are some circumstances where a in-consumer, you know, consumer-grade product is, suffers a breach, but the focus appears to be, just with that opening, is, hey, if you're building things and uh, clearly there's uh, dubious practices with respect to security, um, that that's the source of our problem, right? That's the source of the threat to national security, not still using infrastructure from the 70s, not, uh, you know, making sure that we're doing even the most basic security hygiene, the basic security training for, for personnel. It's software is getting sent out with massive vulnerabilities. Well, and that's and that's not that's not untrue. So let's let's pause. No, for a second. no. untrue, right? Um, let like like take the um, uh, the SolarWinds hack, right? Um, embedded credentials or password one two three or something close enough, right? Like like okay, cool. Should they have some liability? Yeah, I think they I think they should. Should they go bankrupt because of it? Right? Um, like but like part of the security basic that guy's mentioning you get a system you need to change the basic password no 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 this was this was uh, embedded credentials this was not yeah. something that you okay. that you changed right this was embedded credentials for their update service that allowed attackers to add malicious code to the update server that then was downloaded by all the lastpass customers right but but that okay so fine we can say lastpass has culpability there but then turn it around to it was either it was either the target or home depot hack the fire alarm system was compromised. It's an IoT device Target. that was compromised. Um, they then moved that into the POS system. Okay, this is a problem because uh, while you could, in fact, say the fire alarm company didn't use proper practices in securing their IoT protocols, they had nothing to do with how it was connected to the network. That never should have been on the POS system, right? So, so where do you draw the line? How do you define this? Additionally, zero trust, which the federal government has said all agencies must support, specifically is designed because you can't trust any application. If you could solve it simply by legislating cybersecurity within applications, we wouldn't need zero trust, but there's no way to do that. Right? Um, what do we do about zero days? Zero days are always going to exist, right? The only the only secure platform you have on a Friday ends when you clock out on Friday, right? Like like it's it's you, you, there's no such thing as perfect security. So so are we gonna are we attempting to to motivate companies to be better? Okay, I I, I support that, right? To 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 have security at the table before we go to operations. Again, I support that. But at what point do we demotivate software development in the U.S.? And and what's the what's the not necessarily just the control because that's certainly a problem, but what's the 
what's the context of the individual versus the company? Like vast well, majority of software is written by individual contributors, right? Well, then it, and, excludes, and, it excludes open source. Like it's specifically yeah, even, even, so even code written by an organization, a lot of those people are consultants. Sure. Contracted consultants. And therefore, are they taking on personal liability for this? Sure. Well, well and and what who who what company has a software package that is free from open source libraries? Right. <laughs> exactly zero. Like, yeah. There is nothing of substance that is free from open source libraries open source libraries. Right. So, so are GPL you, all over the place. Yeah. Right. So are you saying the only like to protect yourself, you have to design everything in-house. Well, that's just going to introduce tens of thousands more vulnerabilities and slow sure. the entire process down. Right. So at what point, again, are we demotivating people to develop software in the US? Like, like it seems it, it seems like this is weird. That's all I'm saying. It just seems or like worse yet, the opposite, where the government will create libraries that you must include. In, in your code set. That's where it works. Therefore, <laughs> removing a lot of you to the government. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's I mean, you joke, but that's potentially where we're going. And, you know, on the on the open source piece, there is a, you know, the, the, there is this, you know, the concept that says, hey, open source developers shouldn't be responsible. But at the same time, one of the, the the, the ills that the, the plan calls out is that uh, software makers, as they're referred to in the plan, uh, developers are using, um, they're, they're integrating third-party software that's unvetted and of unknown provenance, right? So that, although sure, open source developers, it, it, the, the, the plan steers away from, from looking at liability, that if if that part takes hold right unvetted unknown provenance that could have a chilling effect on the incorporation of open source right and on the on on, on the sharing of open source uh, open source projects just simply yep. because it, it gives the argument of well it's unvetted um except that it's not right it's gone you know the, the community continues to review continues to improve but that could drive even more proprietary development or, or wrapping things around proprietary, uh, you know, or under a proprietary umbrella. Again, it's going to slow down development um, and, and and could wind up frustrating the, the entire proliferation of, of open source libraries in the first place. Right, which would be a big problem because nothing has the eyes on it that open source has. Right. Yeah. So, so yes, when you have something like uh, Log4j, the ramifications are enormous. At the same time, when lo the Log4j problem hit, that was a um, addressed vulnerability for a year. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so uh, kind of attacking open source doesn't solve the problem in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, fundamentally, security is a problem. There's no, there's no two ways about it, right? We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, right? And we do, in fact, need to change the way we build software, right? Um, but it's a we're a generation, 
right? Today, I don't pay my software developers to consider security. I pay them to trust by default because I pay them for speed. I don't pay them for security. I pay them for speed. Security is, is 100% friction. Um, how do I take people that have been doing that for 30 years that are absolute unequivocal experts in their field and say, hey, oh, by the way, all of the stuff you did before, don't do it that way. Right. And, and most code is built by someone who learned Python in 21 days. They're not yeah. 40 year software yeah, engineers. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and a lot of the, the software vulnerabilities that we find are either the, the, whoever utilized the code didn't update it, or they used a component for something the component wasn't really supposed to be used for, but it worked anyways. And so they moved on. Right. So, so where's the liability in that? Right. If I, if, if I pay for an API, and I poorly write to the API and, and, and it's hacked and my company's data is stolen, who owns the responsibility? And above and beyond all of this, you can't possibly apply any of this retroactively. Right. The amount of new code being built is significantly smaller than all the existing code that, that <laughs> is in the world. Therefore, it's not really attacking the problem in any way. Right. Yeah. And I can't, well, I can't use a customer up to update. Yeah. So, so why don't you mention that? Um, that actually does does come up in the play, right? Of you know, software developers have an obligation and 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 have a uh, you know have a requirement to 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 continue to support. Well, this does this 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 creates two potential problems that that would have to be addressed first we can do that we can you know support and, and updates can be done but forced updates uh are not going to i mean there are there well they don't work places where it can't happen but that's not going to happen outside of sas it's not possible oh, right i mean i can dns again right i can just block the update server from self yeah right um, and there's a ton of there's a ton of valid reasons to do that, right? Like there's yeah. a ton of reasons why you want to block the update server. I have custom code that runs against this application that my business depends on. Every time the manufacturer updates it, they break my custom code, right? Because right. their their change control systems aren't any damn good either. Um, so I have to block the updates because all the all the updates break everything. Well, now I have to manually do updates, which means I'm always going to be behind. Who owns the liability in that case? Right? Like it's, yeah. it's this stuff is just is just it's just terrible. There's yeah. just no choice about it. It's just terrible. No, we, we you know, updates, updates are made available, but the other issue too is how are we going to how are we going to address software that's gone end of life? I mean, I, think about it when when XP went end of life how many companies kept using xp because it works or um i knew a ton of companies that do um right medical testing machine testing whatever their test equipment is just simply not compatible it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar piece of gear to, to to get one that's compatible with a new version of the operating system they don't have a choice they're not the, the totality right. of the business for a decade wouldn't offset the capital expense for the piece of gear, right? Um, so, so there's all kinds of reasons why this stuff happens. This is simply short-sighted. 
<laughs> and 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 the reverse, right? Telling companies that telling software companies that hey, um, your software is still in use even though you declared it end of life. You have to incur the cost to continue to update and maintain it, even though you 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 you've you've washed your hands of this particular piece of software. That is gonna that 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 puts. That, that puts us into an interesting quandary, right? Do I have to provide those maintenance services for free? Um, are the companies that have enjoyed, you know, maintenance is rolled into the, into the licensing cost now going to be willing to pay, you know, an additional maintenance fee for software that has been declared end of life. It, I don't see the, I don't see the market bearing that one out. Um, because neither side's going to be willing. And on that, in that same topic, one of the one of the other things that get called that gets called out is, well, it's just not okay that the software developers can disclaim all liability by contract. Um, I I have written, negotiated, I would say, tens of thousands of agreements at this point. That. Disclaimer of all liability, first off, for B2B software products, that, there's wiggle room in that one. It's not just full flat out, there's zero liability, right? That That's not, that is that is not reflective of how the contracting nature works these days. Um, also, where there is, where there are substantial carve outs of liability, the product is priced accordingly. If liability is going to, you know, if there's going to be increased liability, the cost of software is going to increase. Well, then to be clear, right? Software is everything. Right. All hardware so, is all software. So you're not going to escape the liability because you make a hardware no. appliance. Your hardware appliance still has code that runs on it. You're still considered a software manufacturer, sure. right? And, and therefore, the cost of doing business in software, which is all business today, will have to go up. How much it goes up? We, we have no idea yet. No. But that increased cost and that the increased investment that it's going to take undercuts another try, uh, you know, another attempt of the plan is we want to encourage startups. We want to, you know, we want to uh, allow for more competition. That's that is the exact opposite of what creates those incentives. If it's going to be that much more expensive for me to, you know, and it, it doesn't just cut up against cut against startups in the tech space, right? People that are developing hardware, that are developing software. This cuts against the startups that have to acquire the technology, acquire the software, acquire the hard, hardware to pursue whatever startup they're doing, right? Yeah. It's it it's it, it cuts at both sides, which is completely counter to what we're trying to do here, right? It, and what it the, is what going the likelihood that that premium price tag is yeah. not going to creating better software and actually going to insurance companies for... That is correct. <laughs> You're actually just yeah. creating another marketplace of insurance. You're not actually fixing any security. You won't, solve, you won't solve anything, yeah. anything at all. Nothing. So then, no. so so then, where's the middle ground between creating libelous action on individual software developers and the great firewall of the United States? Like, there's there's a middle ground between those two, right? Yeah, 
and and the plant to to you know to to be fair, the plant does contemplate some safe harbors and and development of a of a safe harbor that if you meet certain requirements, right, you can have safe harbor. We, we, right, that that exists already. We've we've got safe harbors for copyright infringement under DMCA. We've got uh, safe harbors for activities of users through uh, through through the Communications Decency Act. And so this, but this sets up this system of, you know, you can have a, a safe harbor, but in order to do that, how much are you going to have to tell people about what you're doing and who's setting the requirements? And do we have different requirements for different types of, sort of software, right? Are we talking about software that's embedded within hardware? Are we talking a consumer application? Uh, what? Where does that safe harbor go? And it's it the problem with this and, and with other approaches like this is it's trying to cast this wide net um, without really thinking about the individual circumstances. Right? This would this is this is akin to you know all right well we have specifications for manufacturing vehicles. Okay, so. With this, unless we, you know, unless some really good thought goes into this, this would be akin to saying any vehicle capable of operating has to meet these certain specifications. So a bike has to meet the same specifications as a Ferrari. Nope. That's right. So that's what this is really, what this structure could wind up setting up. And, and, you know, granted, it is a it is an overview document. It's a roadmap, but it highlights the issues and the depth as, that go here that legislation, statutes, regs, controls don't really contemplate well of how to start dividing all of this up because there's a difference between software that you use to operate a banking platform versus software that you're using to run a manufacturing facility. There's still concerns on both sides, but what those concerns are, where those vulnerabilities show up, very different. So unless we're talking about industry and even sub-industry level you know, controls, we're going to have something that's too overbroad. It's going to be too complicated to, to 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 comply with. And the more complicated a law is to comply with, the less it's followed, and frankly, the less it's enforced. And so, all of this becomes window dressing, and it makes the it makes the cost of doing business go up without really any tangible benefits showing up on the other side. And we still we can't. I, I can't envision a world where software developers, service providers want to continue operating where clicking a link that somebody should know full well, this is a scam. This is a phishing attack that that then subjects them to liability. We cannot expect us to, to, to identify every possible place that we have to protect users from themselves. Right, we have laws out there that do this exact thing. You think about, uh, I know in, in in Denver, right? We get a we get announcements about it every once in a while. It is against the law to leave your car running. 
unless you have remote start, right? So you can't go out, turn the car on, let it, you know, let all the, the, the defroster work. Um, that is against the law. Why? Well, because it makes the car easier to steal. But that is a law directly against the end user and not against the automotive manufacturer that, you know, the, the allegory here, and I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but would be, well, the ignition can only be turned on and it has to stay on as long as there's a butt in the seat. As soon as that butt leaves the seat, the car has to have a kill switch. That's what this is. That's the level that, that, that this could potentially go to if not, if not well thought out. But isn't there value in helping the citizens protect themselves? So while I appreciate the negative impact of critical infrastructure, if I take the impact of TikTok and stealing citizens' data and giving them to CCP, isn't that worth protecting in some way? But that's that's completely different, right? We're not talking TikTok is it's just an active this is a, this is an intelligence gathering, you know, system. Right. It's not, I click a link and that then exposes uh, the, that then exposes the, AD, you know, the AD server, right? right? That's the, that's the difference here, right? It's, it's using something that has, I, I have to say legitimate value, right? There's some legitimate value potentially with sure. TikTok, right? Really you know, funny videos, but <laughs> it's the compromise of systems for you know, right? This is this is opening up something for somebody else to get in. Now, I do think that, and one of the places, and you know, right, the industry is is addressing this through contract um, and addressing this through insurance. The folks that are holding the data, right, the the service providers that are responsible for being the stewards of the data, seeing more liability on their side, isn't necessarily completely out of out of bounds right and that is the place more that reading through the entirety of the plan that's really what they're talking about they're not talking about the person that's shipping out this the software they're talking about those that are running the hosted environments not necessarily the the host the the, the big main hosts um, but you know, the folks that are operating the hosted service on AWS that decide not to configure it the right way or fat finger configuration. So they make everything publicly available. Yeah. There should be some level of liability there and it shows up in agreement. It shows up in the contracts for those services, right? Where it is getting to the point, it's not there completely yet, but it's getting to the point of if you won't as a as a provider if you won't stand up for hey if we misconfigure stuff and we take the liability it's getting tougher and tougher to get the agreement and to get people to subscribe to your service they'll go to somebody else that will so that's become table stakes and it's become table stakes at a contract level today they'll push it to a statutory level that is going to now give the ability for again cost to go up and it starts to by over-regulating in the space, it creates potential for holes to develop. Services that are over-regulated, right, for what they do, for their whole purpose, why would anybody use them? Why would anybody want to produce them if all of the hoops you got to jump through to use the service 
way outweigh any sort of utility that come from that service. All right, let's kill that industry. Let's kill that, you know, that line of services. Whereas others that they're going to be under-regulated because unless we go to the, the, the greatest, strictest, most stringent set of controls there are, we're going to have under, you know, under-regulated services. Well, vulnerabilities are going to still exist there. And those become the targets because we know they don't have to do X, Y, and Z. They should be doing them. So now they're the target. Well, I feel more informed. <laughs> HH, you have any uh, concluding remarks? Um, ultimately, um, this stuff has the potential to be hugely disruptive, hugely negative, um, and damaging. Um, please take a minute, um, gather your own thoughts, and communicate with your representatives. Communicate with you know your companies. Make sure that that you are informed. Um, it's not a reason to panic. This isn't law, but but I hope this starts to kind of make you feel like maybe you should be paying attention to what's going on in laws that affect technology, because this stuff is incredibly complex, and it's likely being decided by people who've never run the stuff. <laughs> likely, absolutely. <laughs> The, the other the evidence that I see um, is completely lacking in anyone that's ever run anything. Yeah. Carlos. <sighs> I'm going to sit down after recording to take notes. I was trying to pay attention. The only one thing is this going to apply all the way up to enterprises to small businesses or is it a bracket that if they make over a certain because i think that, that will have also a bigger impact at least here in the u.s there's a lot of small businesses that they may not develop like we think but they like i said they put services together and they offer it to other smaller businesses and they don't have sometimes the skills to secure it correctly well, and then, you know, I mean, within security, the percentage of security companies that are not U.S. based is getting higher and higher, right? Do, does this right. provide an extreme leg up for those companies? Right? Are we are we making it so, um, you know, what was a $3 million investment to start a security company is now a $5 million investment because of the, the increased cost in legal and, and insurance, right? Does that, does that create a barrier for entry into the market that's going to be damaging to us in the long term? There's there's a a large ripple effect to this that I think we really need to um to be on top of. Well, I know that there's gonna be a lot of conversation about this, my friends. Like we say always, take the time, sit down with your team, understand the challenges and how this can impact your company. Make sure that you share, you subscribe, and we'll see you in our next episode.